Wednesday night. We know it's been a busy week already with work and school and life. But help us tonight, Father, as we've gathered in this place to set all those things aside and focus upon you. We do pray for our preacher, the man of the hour, Lord, that you'd fill him with your spirit tonight. Allow him to preach with liberty, but also that you allow him to preach with Holy Spirit unction tonight. Help us, Lord, the people that are gathered here to receive it, to allow you to speak to our heart and to be changed before we leave tonight, Lord, the altar, get right with you. Speak to us as only you can. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. It up on page number 159. Blessed be the name.
Amen. Amen. Thank you. Open your Bible, please, to Joshua chapter 8. Joshua chapter 8. How many are glad you're in church tonight? Say amen. amen. Anybody prefer to be in jail? Ah, that's good. We're all in agreement of being in the house of the Lord tonight. And I trust it'll be a blessing to you. You've said so many kind things. I'm starting to suspect 
the sincerity of your words. You know, when people just say nice things over and over, uh, then you you got to question it. Are they really listening? Are they paying attention? Do you guys sleep, and are you trained to sleep with your eyes open? I'm not sure how it's working. Reminds me of the 92-year-old man. I mean, he is an old guy. Never been to a doctor, thought the whole medical field was just a big sham, and he just refused to go see doctors. But he got to hurting so bad, he had to go see someone. And went to see his doctor, and his doctor sat him down in the counseling room and gave him some sobering news. But that old man, he just perked up and he said, Thanks, Doc. I appreciate you being straightforward with me. And the doc wasn't sure what the man heard, but the man got up and walked out of the office. And it was just a country town, country doctor. And a couple days later, doctor's walking down Main Street. And there's that old man walking arm in arm with a young, good-looking blonde. And the old man saw the doctor and said, hey, doc, how's it going? Doc said, well, it's going pretty good, but uh, how's it going for you? I'm doing great. Ever since that advice you gave me, I've been feeling great. Doctor said, well, what, uh, what did I tell you? You said, you know, be, be cheerful and get a hot, a hot mama. The doctor said, no. I said, be careful, you've got a heart murmur. <laughs> so, I don't know what you're hearing out there, but if it makes you feel that good, I'm happy for you. Hallelujah. This meeting is referred to as a revival meeting. And God has pretty much prescribed how we can experience revival. And when God gave these instructions, keep in mind in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, the people of God were at an all-time high. They're not down in the dumps. They're at an all-time high. So if you right now are just walking with the Lord on fire for the Lord, uh, these words are still good for you and me because God says He knows human nature. He knows all flesh is like grass. And, and He knows you're going to cave at times. And so He lays it out for you. He says, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves. And that really is a problem in America. It's a problem in the American church. And especially those of us that are fundamental, independent, narrow-minded, King James only, red-letter edition, no fun Baptist. Because we think we're right on everything. And anyone else that's a gospel-preaching church, they're good, they're just not where we are. And so for us to humble ourselves, quite frankly, is a bigger task than what we like to admit. And that's why it's imperative that we be honest to God so that we can humble ourselves. And then we, Sunday night, looked at the second thing that the Lord laid out. He said, pray. 
And so we looked at seven things that Christians ought to pray. It will help give us confidence in our prayer life. It just seems to me that many of our people don't pray because it's not that they don't believe in prayer. They just don't believe God hears their prayers. They at one time or maybe on several occasions prayed to God and he didn't come through in the way that they wanted him to come through. And so they pretty much ruled prayer out of their life. They're not going to say that publicly, but it's true because the average Christian in our churches prays less than an hour a week. And I can't help but think that the Lord walks by like He did in the garden that night. What? You can't watch for an hour? You can't pray? For an hour? And then last night, we saw the next thing that God lays out. He says to seek His face. And we learned from the Scriptures that seeking God's face is receiving His Word. Intentionally hearing it. Intentionally trying to understand it. And then obeying it. Being doers of the word. Because if we hear and don't do, we're going to fool ourselves. We're going to deceive ourselves thinking that because we know so much Bible that we are in good standing with God. Quite frankly, there's people that don't know near as much Bible as our kind of churches are taught and preached and very much well aware of, but they obey what they know. And I have a hunch God blesses them far more than us that know so much, but we do so little. And so then God says, after we humble ourselves and pray and seek His face, He says, we're to turn from our wicked ways. Now, I don't know about you, but I think I ought to finish that verse. Because the next word of that verse, Second Chronicles 7.14, says, then. You ought to circle that word, then. Then I will hear from heaven. Then I will forgive your sins. Then I will heal your land. Now, folks, the question Jesus posed that man sitting by the pool in the New Testament really ought to be posed to us. Wilt thou be whole? Do you really want to be healed? Or do you like your sin so much that you want to be miserable the rest of your life trying to please God and your flesh and hobble through? You can do that if you want, but it's going to be a rough life. God says, do you want to be healed? If so, humble yourself, pray, seek His face, and turn from your wicked ways. Tonight, I want to address that last subject. Now, tomorrow night, I said I'm going to save my favorite message for tomorrow night. And it's for those of you that have endured these second-class sermons throughout the entire week. And I am so grateful that you have endured them with me. But I pray you have heard something from the Holy Spirit that's a blessing to you. How many have found Joshua chapter 8? 
I love the book of Joshua. I mean, I love the book of Joshua. When I followed my dad as pastor of our church, our, my dad would often say, Moses is my hero. I mean, he said that repeatedly. To this day, some of the old members of the church, they'll talk about Moses. They're not talking about Moses of the Bible. They're talking about my dad. And they would, some would come to me, preachers would write me and say, boy, you've got big shoes to fill after he died. And finally, I just, I just turned around and said, no, we've bronzed those shoes and they're up on the mantle of God's grace as a testimony of what a man can do if he follows the Lord Jesus Christ. But I got good news for you. Joshua's got Nikes on and we're running, baby. So you better lace them up if you're going to go with me. And so when we get into Joshua, man, it's exciting. And you know, you know the story of Joshua. I mean, uh, tonight I'm going to chat. I don't know what I'm going to do. I wrote in my notes, you better chat this. So I'm, I'm going to chat. And chat means I'm going to talk nicely to you because I know I'm dealing with a sensitive issue. Anytime you preach on sin, boy, the walls go up. They really do. Because already... I haven't even gotten started. Some of you are already dealing with the Holy Spirit. It has nothing to do with the message. But if you're saved, the Holy Spirit's going to convict you when you're living a life of disobedience. And if He isn't, you're probably not saved. Because God is not an enabler. If you're living in sin, willful sin, known sin... He's not going to enable you to continue therein. He loves you way too much. And so you will be uncomfortable. I will be uncomfortable. We should be uncomfortable. But I don't want you to respond to me and say, well, that's how they do it in Chicago. Well, he's an old guy. He doesn't understand. Folks, I may be old, but let's be honest. I'm still cool. (laughs) Is that the truth or is that the truth? You know who I'm talking about. You can't look this good and not be cool. Man, I couldn't shave my mustache if I wanted to. I walk into... Starbucks and those baristas more often than Hey, love that mustache. Cool mustache. I'll say cooling up or a, a cup of coffee. What do you want? I've had over 50 cups of coffee given to me because of this mustache. It's paid for itself, folks. I'm telling you. Man, I go home, take it off, put it back in the case and... So I'm going to chat with you a little bit because what I want to do is I want to coach those of you that really want to experience revival, that want to experience freedom from a habitual sin, from a temptation that seems to to just constantly haunt you. I want to encourage those of you that have failed that have fallen into sin, and maybe have already made it right with God, but you're sort of sitting in the sidelines as if God could never use you again. And so, 
let's, let's run backwards a little bit and catch up to speed to Joshua chapter 8. You remember what happened in Joshua chapter 6. The children of Israel, they're going in to claim the promised land. Folks, we can learn a lot from, from the book of Joshua in our Christian life. When we get saved, there's a lot of promises God has given us, but they're not all automatic. We've got to go and conquer the giants in our life. Take them out so that we can occupy that space in our life with God's blessings. And when they come to Jericho, perhaps the most fortified city in all the land, I mean, the walls are so wide they can have numerous chariots on top of the wall for a race. And yet God doesn't send them out with bazookas and nuclear warfare. He, he sends them out with trumpets and pitchers and a candle. I mean, what kind of warfare is that? That's not normal for weapons of warfare. But listen... When God tells you to do something, it may not make sense to the natural mind. But if you're going to obey God, He's going to bless you for your obedience. The battle belongs to the Lord, not to us. And so they go and they march around that wall every day, six days. Seventh day, you know the story. Seventh day, the walls come tumbling down. Yes, the walls came tumbling down. That sounds like a good song. I think I could break out and sing that right now. Joshua 6 records one of the great victories for God's people. I mean, they're, they're hooting and hollering. They're doing high fives. They're praising God. They're excited. They've got confidence now. Wow! We are going to get this land. It's ours. God said it. I believe it. That settles it. Well, settled it for a chapter. Then they went up against a little itty-bitty enemy. Ai. Remember that? Chapter 7. Ai. I mean, so much so, he didn't even send the whole army. Why waste all that energy? I mean, this this is an easy one. And they go in and they lose In fact, they leave running. And you know how Christian people are. Then they start complaining. I can't believe God asked us to do that. And now look at the trouble I'm in. Never thinking it could be us. What they didn't know was there was a guy that disobeyed God's command in Joshua 6. That first victory... God didn't want them to take a thing from that city. Just leave it there. But Achan just couldn't bear the thought of all that money. All those good things would just go to waste. Surely it could be put to good use. So he stole it. You say, how do you know he stole it? Because he hid it. If, it, if he really had made an innocent mistake, he would have had it displayed in his tent. But he knew what he was doing. He buried it. He hid it. And I want to help you tonight. Not everybody in the camp was guilty of sin. Just one. 
And I don't know that that is properly applied to the church of the living God. I would tend to disagree because, quite frankly, in most churches, you've always got sinners there. But if you know there's sin in the camp, then we're commanded in Corinthians to deal with it. But we don't know everything that's going on in your lives. And quite frankly, I'm thankful for that. I think the best application from the sin of Achan is for me and you. It doesn't take a whole lot of sin to mess up our life. You conceal something. It's not like you innocently said something that you didn't know you hurt somebody's feelings. It's not like you did something that it it just was a natural response and you didn't even realize you did it. No, when you hide it, you know it's wrong. Does that make sense? And when we hide that sin, you mark it down, it's going to poison the whole life. And you and I are going to struggle. It'll show up in your marriage. It'll show up in your family. It'll show up in work. It'll show up in every relationship. Because when your relationship with God is wrong, every other relationship will eventually become wrong. That's why it's imperative we get it taken care of. So what do we do? I'm glad you asked. Because Joshua 8 gives us the answer for that. And again, I'm just chatting. If I yell, just ignore me. Just means I got overly excited at the wrong time. Hallelujah. Let's look at um, verses 1 through 3. Let's read that and then see if we can't get this thing going. And the Lord said unto Joshua, Fear not. Now, I love that. Can I, can I tell you why I love it? It's not just one of the 365 fear nots. Think of the timing of it. The timing of it is they've already blown it. They've already been defeated. They're down in the dumps. They're discouraged. And God says, fear not. Man. You know what that tells me? When God deals with sin, he's done. You don't need to live in false guilt the rest of your life. Just deal with it and move on. He says here, Joshua, fear not. Neither be thou dismayed. Take all the people of war with thee, and arise, go up to Ai. See, I have given into thy hand the king of Ai, and his people, and his city, and his land. And thou shalt do to Ai, her king, as thou didst unto Jericho, and her king. Only the spoil thereof, and the cattle thereof, Shall ye take for a prey unto yourselves, lay thee in ambush for the city behind it. I love that verse too. I can't even get into the sermon. You would think God would have said, this is what you would do as parents. All right, since you stole something out of Jericho, you can't take anything out of Ai. No. Once the other sin was taken care of, God said, all right, let's move on. Take everything. I want to bless you. And you're feeling like, well, but God, I'm not ready to be blessed. 
I don't deserve it. Can I say this kindly? We never deserve it. God's got blessings for us whether we deserve it or not. Now, there's additional blessings for obedience. But here he says, I want to bless you. So Joshua rose and all the people of war to go up against Ai. Let's pray so we can get through. Father, I pray that you bless the preaching and the teaching of your word tonight. I pray it would be a help to your saints that want revival. Help us, O oh God, to flee from just the appearance of evil. Help us, O oh God, to stay clean in a dirty world. Help us, Father, to make things right tonight and then again tomorrow and the next day. And every time that we fail, help us, Father, to quickly to confess and forsake our sin so that it cannot take root in our lives. We thank you and praise you and cry for revival once again. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Sin must be confessed when we, when we sin against God. Proverbs 28, 13 says, He that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. 1 Corinthians 13, or 11 says, For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. Do you understand that verse? God doesn't want to even bust you on the head. He doesn't even want to chasten you. Just judge yourself. So He doesn't have to judge you. But when we're judged, we are chastened of the Lord that we should not be condemned with the world. Man, when God's Holy Spirit convicts you, get it right then, Ezra says, Now therefore make confession unto the Lord God uh, your fathers, and do His pleasure. Jeremiah 3.13 Only acknowledge thine iniquity, that thou hast transgressed against the Lord thy God. You know, 1 John 1.9, as well as I do, sin confessed is forgiven, and mercy is given. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Jeremiah says, For I will restore health unto thee, and I will heal thee of thy wounds, saith the Lord. Micah 7, 19 says, He will turn again. He will have compassion upon us. He will subdue our iniquities, and thou wilt cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. Galatians 5, 6, 1 tells us, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, bust on him, criticize him, condemn him, make fun of him. Tell everybody that you know about his sin. No! He says, Restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. There's Christians likely here in the room tonight that have been overtaken by a fault, fallen into some sinful habit, you know it's wrong. Some have asked God for forgiveness and have quit that thing that they know is wrong, but they feel like they can never serve God again. They think they're doing good if they just don't hinder God's work. If they don't fall back into that sin, they're content with that. They're on the right track. Well, can I tell you something? You might be on the right track, but if you don't start moving, you're going to get run over. Every one of us have sinned, some terribly so. Some are even in sin tonight, and you're suffering a humiliating defeat. And God says, I would rather you judge yourself so that I don't need to confess and forsake it. 
But even when God does chasten us, are you listening? It's not to end our service for Him. But He actually chastens us so that we can get back up and serve the King of Kings. Failure is not final. The Bible says in Proverbs 24, 16, For a just man falleth seven times, and riseth up again. Seven times. So some of you are already thinking, well, I've fallen more than seven times. Oh, then you must be thinking about in a year. Yeah, most of us have failed seven times a year. But how do you know it doesn't mean seven times a month? How do you know it doesn't mean seven times a week? How do you know it doesn't mean seven times a day? I mean, good night. Think about it, folks. Quit trying to excuse yourself from getting right with God. If God tells His people to forgive somebody of the same sin 490 times, I think God is capable of doing a little bit more than man. What God is saying When the righteous or the saved man completely blows it, he's going to get back up and he's going to fight. That's called resilience. And this generation lacks a lot of it. When I say this generation, I'm not talking about young people. I'm talking about this generation of American Christians. Let me give you some thoughts on What failure is not. And I don't have time to expound on it, but they're all worthy of our attention. Number one, failure is unavoidable. Those of you that don't think you're all that bad, man, are you self-deceived. Paul said, oh, wretched man that I am. Paul said, there's no good thing in my flesh. And for you to go around strutting, thinking you're a pretty good Christian, good night. Wake up. Be honest with yourself. We're all sinful creatures. The only righteousness that we can even boast on is His righteousness. Failure is not an event. It's not a destination. It's not a lifestyle. It's an exhibition of your flesh that you're in the process of mortifying. Three, failure is not objective it is subjective to someone's opinion and if god says one sin is as bad as another that means one sin is as bad of a failure as another sin and if god can forgive all sin let's move on number four failure is not the enemy those who view failure as the enemy will be slaves to those who conquer it. That's deep. Failure, number five, is not irreversible. If silly things were not done, one man said, intelligent things would never happen. A lot of times when I coach young men, they say, wow, you're so wise. And I usually say, it's because I was so stupid. Number six, failure is not a stigma. 
I think of the woman at the well. If anyone should have hung her head the rest of her life, it should have been her. Sleeping around, multiple men. And yet Jesus said, go and tell them. Number seven, failure is not final. And I can hear some thinking right now, probably the prodigal's older brother. Brother Humbert is giving men a license to live in habitual sin. Now there's two things wrong with that stupid statement. Number one, saved people get a new want to. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. The old black preacher used to say, if you is what you was, then you ain't. Now that may not be good English, but it's perfect theology. When you get saved, you get a new nature. You have a new want to. Now your flesh still wants to sin, but the new you... You want to please your heavenly Father. Number two, sin brings consequences that saved people do not want to endure and shame the cause of Christ. It's just part of our new nature. Resilience means to leap, bounce, or spring back into shape. Joshua and the children of Israel were defeated badly, but they bounced back. They were men of God, and men of God do fail. But they do not stop there. They are resilient and bounce back into shape. That's that's what Joshua 8 is, is all about. The Israelites were blown out of the water by a much weaker and smaller army because of their sin. But once they identified the sin, confessed it, removed it, God put them right back on track. Are you with me tonight? Otherwise, if there's no hope for saved people to get right, then we should all just wait till we're about two hours from dying. Get saved, take a morphine shot so that we can't have any more consciousness and wait till we die. Because most of you are going to sin before you leave the parking lot tonight. So let's point out a couple of things from this text. And again, I'm just chatting. I don't know how good of an outline this is. These are just thoughts I jotted down. I like number one, verse number one. I see encouragement there. And the Lord said unto Joshua, Fear not, neither be thou dismayed. The word dismayed means to lose enthusiasm, to be upset, to be discouraged, broken. God says, I don't want you to be afraid. Don't be afraid of this enemy. The only reason why you lost the war wasn't because you didn't have enough Guys, you had sin in your life. But we've got that taken care of, so you don't need to fear losing. Don't be dismayed. Don't go around without enthusiasm. Man, I, I'm just a total failure. I just, I'm, just a, I'm just a bum. I'm just no good. That's, that's, that's false humility. 
Humility is, I sinned, but God forgave me. That's true humility. False humility is, I'm just no good, I'm just a failure, I I could never do that. No, that's nonsense. If you've confessed your sin, God is ready to use you again. Joshua, don't be afraid anymore for the punishment of this sin. Joshua, don't be afraid to get back into battle. Joshua, just because you failed, don't be afraid to try again. Joshua, don't be afraid of the enemy just because they won last When you get things right with God, the Lord says, For I, the Lord thy God, will hold thy right hand. Fear not, I will help thee. Isaiah 41. I've heard people say, I could never be the mate I should be. Too many mistakes, too long. Heard people say, I could never be involved in my kids' lives again. Too many mistakes, too long. I could never be involved in church ministries. Too many mistakes, too long. And God says, fear not, be not dismayed. That's encouragement. Who are you going to listen to? Yourself or God? Make it right with God and God will encourage you to get back up. Secondly, look again in verse number one. We see enlistment. He said, take all the people of war with thee and rise. Go up to Ai. The war is still going on. Can I remind you that when you're away from God, that doesn't stop the war? You think the devil was attacking your family before you fell into sin? Can I remind you? He's going to continue attacking your family. And now you're not even going to help defend them. And when you get things right with God, can I remind you? You've got a family. You've got a church. You've got a country that needs you and me to fight the fight. The enemy doesn't wait for you to get right with God. The fight continues. We need more AWOL soldiers to get back on track today. Just because you're not serving the Lord doesn't mean that the battle has gotten any less. We need everybody to get involved in the Lord's work. Some of you have been shot. Some are wounded. Some have deserted. But let's get healed up and get back in the ranks and whip the enemy I remember when I was a teenager, I I went to Ohio to work in a youth camp one summer. And when I went to Ohio on the weekends, I was going to stay one weekend with my grandma, which was my dad's mom, and then the next weekend, uh, stay at my grandpa's house, my uh, mom's dad. I just took it that they couldn't take me every week, so they took turns babysitting me on the weekends. And so I went to my grandpa's house, and my mom, before I left, I mean, she just broke down weeping. She had told us stories of her dad, how he'd gotten caught up in alcohol and some things in his life and was a mean father, a mean dad. Now, she was, she was the baby of the family, so he was nice to her, but he was mean to the mother and mean to the other siblings, and, and, and it hurt her. And she was concerned that he was unsaved. 
And so she made me promise. She said, Bruce, when you go, would you promise at least once, try to win him to Jesus Christ? And so the very first weekend, I sat and chatted with him, and I've always been close to my Grandpa Hawkins. I don't know why he took a liking to me as well. Maybe it was because of his baby girl, his son, or her son. I don't know how I found favor in his eyes, but he liked me, and there was, a, there was just a natural bonding there. And, and so it was real easy for me to communicate with him. It wasn't difficult at all. And so when I sat down and chatted with him, I said, Grandpa, I need to ask you a question. Is that all right? He said, sure, Bruce, what, what's on your mind? I, I said, Grandpa, if you were to die tonight, would you go to heaven? And I mean to tell you, it was like a cold chill went through the room. All of a sudden, his eyes got watery, and I could see a tear forming and trickle down one of his cheeks. He said, yes, Bruce. I got saved when I was a soldier, when I was in the military. Even got baptized in, forget what ocean, what great body of water. He said, but you know, and he told me some incident, I don't remember even now what it was. He got mad at God and started living a life contrary to the Word of God. He said, your mom would even question whether I was saved. And I'm thinking, yeah, she questions it. That's why I asked you. <laughs> he said, your mom would question. He said, I, I don't even want to discuss everything that I've done wrong, but Bruce, I know I'm, I know I'm saved. And I mean, he was broke. That Sunday, he went with me to church. Sunday morning, Sunday school. He's in his 80s. Sunday morning, church. Sunday night, church. What I didn't know was Tuesday night, he was on visitation. Wednesday night, he was in church. The following Sunday, he was in church, and I wasn't with him that weekend. He never missed a service for the last four or five years of his life. When his daughter, my mom's older sister, with whom he lived, a small little house outside of their house, when they found him dead in his, in his house, they found him sitting in his chair with his Bible open on his lap. I'm saying to you tonight, if God can forgive him and he wasted so much of his time, so much of his life, he got right, and he got right back in the battle. He didn't wait. He didn't try to prove that he meant it. He got right back into battle. And can I help some of you that struggle with that? You think, well, people, they question me. They look at me funny, and, you know, it might help them if they see you serving God again. You start serving God again, man came to me and my dad and told my dad, he said he'd been lying about me in the church and wanted to go to the church and confess his sin before the entire church. My dad looked at me and he said, I'll let my son decide what should be best, but I think you ought to apologize to him before you apologize to the church. He apologized to me and for lying about me and spreading rumors about me and 
And so he said, Brother Bruce, I'd like to go before the church and, and, and confess my sin before the church tonight. And I said, Brother, I don't know that you're not lying now. Just because you say you've been lying, I don't know that you were lying before. I don't know who you lied to. And now you want me to let you get up in front of the church and have everybody feel sorry for you and heap all that attention upon you? I got a better idea. Why don't you just go to all the people that you've lied to about me and tell them how wonderful I am? And why don't you start praising what I do to them? You know what's going to happen? They're going to get the idea. You got your heart right. Let's do that. I'm just saying, if you get right with God, that's good to get it done at the altar, but then do what's right. Get enlisted. Number three, look at the emphasis again in verse number one. I have given into thy hand the king of Ai and his people and his city and his land. God says, I'm giving it all to you. Not just part of it, all of it. You're going to get the king, you're going to get the people, and thou shalt do to Ai and her king as thou didst unto Jericho and her king. God simply saying, I'm guaranteeing you the victory. Just as though you'd never sinned. Second Chronicles 32 says, But with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. Psalm 44, Through thee will we push down our enemies. Through thy name will we tread them under that rise up against us. Romans 8, 37, we all know. Nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. God emphasized that victory was still theirs for the taking. God emphasized that he will still, that he still wanted them to serve him. God emphasized that he would still use them. Some say, oh, I don't know if I can forgive myself. That's another proud statement. What do you mean you don't know if you can forgive yourself? What good is that going to do anyway? You're not the judge. God's the judge. Again, that's false humility. That's pride. If you're forgiven by God, then serve God. And the others that you have offended, they'll eventually forgive you as well because they'll see a different man and a different woman. You say, well, some of those people will never forgive me. You may be right, but you're not serving man. You're serving God. God will deal with them. God will help them. God will work in their life like he's working in your life. You're not their God. You can only make things right with him. And he emphasizes the fact that we are going to enjoy the promises of God as if nothing ever happened. When I drive home from church, we we used to live... In a country town, I had to go through another country town named Moni. 
And if you know anything about country towns, they don't have much source of a revenue. Barney Fife is sitting on the north end of town with one bullet in his gun, and he's bored out of his mind. And what they're doing is they're hoping to catch people that are unfamiliar with this country town speeding because it drops from 55 to 40 like that. And they got their gun, speed gun, ready to go. And they get, that's their source of revenue. It, they don't have anything else to do. They don't have much robbery and thefts and break-ins and no murders. It's just a quiet town. They've got to generate revenue, so they, they catch people that aren't from the area speeding. You say, well, how do you know they're looking for people not from the area? Because they seldom ever pull over any people from Moni. Everybody in Moni knows everybody in Moni. So I'm coming down. It's a routine of mine. I'm 55. I set my cruise control. I hit the brake. I tap it down. I'm ready to go. I, I do this every single day. One night I come home. I'm going through Moni. I see these red lights. And I well, he got someone. Oh, I didn't see anybody speeding. Maybe there's a maybe there is a break in, or maybe there's a cat stuck. Or but I, he gets up right behind me. And gives me one of those. <laughs> What do you mean? So I pull over and he comes up and he says, uh, I got you clocked doing 67 in a 40. I said, 67 in a 40? I said, uh, that's, that's impossible. I was only doing 55 in the 55. No way I could have been doing 67 in a 40. I said, could I see that? He said, I've already raced the radar gun. Oh, how convenient. He gives me a little slip of paper. It's called a ticket, citation. And I thought, shoot, I'm going to court. I'm going to fight this thing. That's a bald-faced lie. I'm not, I'm not paying for something that takes time out of my day. And you know how you get bold and you're cocky and I'm ready to go in, man. I've, I've got notes. I, I mean, I'm ready to go. I've got a little sermonette outline. I've got a... I got a, a poem on tithing. I'm ready to go to talk to the judge. And, and they call my name up, and I've never been in court. When I went into the courtroom, all of a sudden, all that confidence just sort of slipped out of me. I thought, supposing there's other church members in here. Supposing my charismatic preacher friend's in here. What am I going to say? Because I'm always telling him he's wrong. And, and so now I'm concerned that somebody might see me. So I go in a little sheepishly, and I scan the room, and nobody I know. Hallelujah. And then I hear them call my name, Bruce Humbert. So I walk up, and it's kind of like a, an assembly line. You go right, I mean, it's not like Perry Mason. That's what I was ready for. And, and so, and so, you young people, just Google that, okay? It's, and so I'm, I'm ready to go into court of law here, and and they pass it, and they hand me the, and I hand them the citation. They do some, I get down to the clerk right before I get to the judge, and she, bam. She stamps it. She says, you're dismissed. I said, what do you, what do you mean I'm dismissed? Uh, it's, it's, it's been thrown out. What do you mean it's thrown out? I, I want to talk to the judge. No, he won't hear you. It's thrown out. Well, okay, I can go. 
Yeah, it's just as if you never sped. I didn't speed, ma'am. That's what I want to tell him. She says, well, it's just as if you never sped. I didn't speed. Well, it's just as if you never got the ticket. I said, so I can go? Yes. So I took the paperwork and walked out. And I said hi to the judge and went out the door. I go out the door and there's a couple of Richmond Park police officers. I'm friends with them. They're right next door to our church. And they come up, Reverend, what are you doing here? So I told them my story. And I said, and the lady told me it was dismissed that I was free to go. He said, oh, you didn't stand before the judge? I said, no. He said, well, you better get back in there. Because if you don't stand before the judge, we're going to get a warrant for your arrest and we're going to have to come pick you up. I said, you kidding? She told me it was, it was dismissed. And he said, oh, no, you better not. I said, well, okay. And then they busted out laughing. They said, no, Reverend, you don't, you don't have to do that. We're just having fun with you. Good friends, good friends. When God looks at you and you got your sin confessed, you don't have any reason to give it another thought. Dismissed. Quite frankly, you won't want to stand before the judge. You'll be glad you don't have to. But as Christians, we confess our sins. He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us all unrighteous. Then, fourthly, look, eagerness. After you hear God's encouragement and get enlisted and hear the emphasis, there's e- so Joshua rose. I love that word, so. So Joshua rose. I mean, he's fired up. We read Psalm 51, Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. Then will I teach transgressors thy ways. A Christian has a desire to serve the Lord. If you're here tonight and you don't have any desire to serve God, you have every reason in the world to doubt whether you're really saved. When you're saved, Born again, indwelt by the Holy Spirit, there's going to be a desire, a draw, an interest in serving God. Now, you may be fearful of it and feel like you're not capable of it. I'm talking about your natural or supernatural desire that we get when we're saved. A Christian has a desire to serve the Lord, and he doesn't want that to be hindered. A backslidden Christian longs For the good old days, a forgiven and restored saint will be eager to serve God with all his might. And some of the greatest soldiers in the work are those who have gotten a second, yea, even a third chance. And I'm running out of time. Look fifthly in verse number 26 of the effect. For Joshua drew not his hand back, wherewith he stretched out the spear until he had utterly destroyed all the inhabitants of Ai. Victory promised, victory experienced. God doesn't play games with the souls of men. God doesn't play with His children's feelings and their hearts. 
We need to be resilient. When we fail and fall, we need to get back up with God. And maybe there's some here tonight that you're not serving God, but you know you should. Let me share a testimony and we'll go home. We had a lady in our church. Her name was Nancy. If you'd go to our church up on the south side of Chicago, and if you'd see any of the older members, which is about half of our church, when I say old, it's not necessarily seniors, but even some of the young people that grew up in church, they all knew Nancy. She was a gifted woman. It was incredible. Um, she retired when she was 50 from uh, Ma Bell. That's AT&T. <laughs> she had worked her way up in the, uh, in, in the, to the executive offices. She was gifted with a brilliant mind. She was great in organization, so much so that she pretty much organized every shelf, every closet, every cabinet in our entire church plant. She remodeled a lot of the rooms in our church on her own, on her own dime. She started a woman's barbershop quartet. That was pretty cool to go to fellowship meetings. We go to fellowship meetings, we talk about our attendance, we talk about our offerings, we talk about something to boast so that they know how spiritual we are and God's blessing our church. I went and talked about our female barbershop quartet. Top that. <laughs> you have five daughters in five years, God's going to bless you. So she... Um, she started, I don't know how many singing groups. She was a soul winner. She was a tremendous encourager. She would get the teenagers in our church and mentor them from cooking to decorating to soul winning. She on her own dime, meaning she paid her own way, she would go six to 12 weeks, 10 weeks in the summer to France to help a missionary in their youth camp there, not knowing a word of French, went there, did the same for them as she did for us, organized the kitchen, cooked for them, intermingled with the kids. She would take young ladies in our church that were spirit-minded, spiritually minded. She would take them to France with her, just to mentor them. She did that for 24 consecutive years, not being sent out and financed by our church. We prayed for her. She did that with her own money. She just wanted to serve God. I can't exaggerate the respect that our church people had for her. Never wanted to be in the limelight. If you would praise her publicly, which we didn't very often because she really, really insisted not to receive any accolades. And the reason is this. She shared her testimony 
just on a couple of occasions. She got saved, raised in a foster home. And that, that's a dramatic story and all, all the stuff that she endured through those times. Sent to a youth camp, got saved, loved the Lord, got married, got in the world, destroyed that marriage, lived a life of sin and rebellion against God for, because of hurt. Can I suggest to you tonight that I am learning, and I'm saying it for the younger people in here and younger adults, I have learned, and it's only been in the last decade, that you'd be amazed at how many people that live a life of rebellion are people that are hurt. They're striking out. They're angry. I'm not talking about the unsaved crowd. I'm talking about our crowd. And they have nobody they can talk to because we're so superficial and we judge people when in reality they're crying out for help. We have an answer. We can help them. But they got to be able to trust you and trust me to where they can get counseled, to get coaching, to not be put down because they're struggling. They're, they're in essence saying, I need help. I don't like it any more than you. But because they're trapped and can't go anywhere, they don't want to be in the world. And so they're angry at the world. They're angry at the church. They try not to be angry at God. But they're angry people. Such was the case with Nancy. She went to a revival meeting with a friend. Then came to our church. She just could not believe that God would forgive her. In fact, she said, you know, I wished I wasn't saved. Because it would be a lot easier for me to get saved and say all that was when I was lost. But preacher, I know I was saved. And the fact that God would forgive me and use me is just more than I can take. So please don't. Anytime you want to thank me publicly, praise God. I'm saying tonight, if you've messed up, and it may be only, and maybe none of us know. Quite frankly, we don't want to know. But if you've messed up, God's able to heal you. God is able to forgive you. You're his daughter. You're his son. If he can forgive his enemies, how much more does our Heavenly Father want to forgive his own children? Are you listening? God's not a mean dad up in heaven. He's not going to hold it over you. He wants you to confess it, forsake it, and you will find mercy. You want revival? That's just a question. Wilt thou be made whole? Humble ourselves.
pray. Seek God's face and get back on track. Turn from our wicked ways. Then, then he'll hear us. Then he will forgive us. Then he will heal our land. I hope that's a help to you tonight. And tomorrow night, like I said, saving my favorite message for tomorrow night. And if you don't want to have a good time in church, I suggest you go somewhere else because I'm going to have a good time tomorrow night. I've preached on the subject of revival and trust it was a help and a blessing to this church. Tomorrow I want to encourage you to move on from here. Let's stand to our feet. Father, done the best I can to teach and preach your word tonight, and I hope it was a help. I hope you're pleased. Father, I, I can criticize my preaching, my delivery, my word choices, the length of the sermon. There's a million things I can criticize. Bottom line, Father, I hope you were pleased with my, with my efforts because my desire tonight is to lift you up and show this eternal bound audience what a great God we have. A merciful God, a forgiving God, a loving God, and still is just and holy. And I pray that tonight that those that are struggling with maybe a small sins, big sins, lots of sins, little sins. It doesn't make any difference. It could be just one little one like Achan. But it's robbing us of the joy and the blessings. I pray we confess it, forsake it tonight. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Maybe you're right with God tonight so you won't come to the altar for yourself. Some of you have children. Some of you have grandchildren. Maybe you'd come and pray on their behalf that God would bring them back. But let's just join our hearts at the altar tonight, maybe up front where you're at. Let's just spend a little time talking to God a little bit. God bless you.
given, as far as the east is from the west, buried in this ocean, never to be remembered. You know, it's sad how many people deal with getting past that. You know, we have a great God that forgives it. We just need to trust Him with it. So, thank you, Brother Humbert. Appreciate it so much. By the way. Uh, we've got him on the books for the year 2025. He's going to be back with us October 5th through the 8th in 2025. And so it would be great if you're still here, right? Get to see him. I told him if Jesus comes, we'll just be in heaven. We'll do something good up there, amen? But if not, then we'll have revival here again in 2025. Good to be in the Lord's house tonight. I'm going to ask the Humberts to make their way to the back. And um, be praying for one another. Look forward to tomorrow night. I'm looking forward to the cherry on top, right? And so let's uh, be faithful and look forward to what the Lord has for us. Good to be in God's house tonight. I'm going to ask Brother Stephen Foster if he would lead some word of prayer as we do.